0: You know, I've, I've always believed this and I always will. I don't believe in competitors. I believe the competition's good. It's a great barometer for who you want to be if you're willing to go there. The only competitor is really the eyeballs in the mirror.
1: Welcome or welcome back to the Compete Everyday Podcast. That voice you heard kicking us off today was my friend, Eddie Perez. Eddie is the CEO and president of Equity Prime Mortgage based in Atlanta and someone I've gotten to know the last few years since I had the opportunity to speak at one of their events back in 2021. I love eddie's competitive drive his focus and his willingness to empower people which not only is the name of his podcast but his actions every day we dive into the show talking about leadership building trust with your people and things that we can do to build a culture of excellence and eddie gives his thoughts not only on building trust but on replacing teammates that lost and why corporate America today may be more like college football than we ever anticipated. So you're in for a treat. I've linked all of Eddie's uh, social media in the show notes. You'll find his LinkedIn, his Instagram, and his own podcast, Empowering People More. But now, let's dive into today's new show, helping you as leaders find a way to continue building winning cultures with my friend, Eddie Perez. <laughs> Eddie, looking forward to today. Thanks for coming on the show.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for it's my pleasure and thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet.
1: Enjoyed spending time and getting to know you the last couple of years. Uh, I think we met in person actually at EPMX in 21. Yeah. Back in the day. But you have built just an awesome culture, awesome team. And so wanted to have you on to talk about that. But Before we dive into that, you have a a pretty unique, I think, story and your family is a unique story. And so I would love to hear how your upbringing and just the history and culture of your family has shaped who you are today as a leader.
0: Sure. Uh, You know, I always say it's a a privilege to live in this country. And the only reason I know that is from the trauma that I saw from my family and through their history, uh, because I'm first generation born from Cuban immigrant parents. And, you know, it's it's you know, we're all free here, so we're used to it. So just imagine if we lost it. That's what they felt. So it's, they were free up until they were, you know, my father was 18. My mom was uh, 22 because my mom's four years older than my father. And that's how the story goes. They didn't meet in Cuba. You know, my father, you know, is, is a very, rem- they both have very remarkable stories. But my father literally with six others stole a rowboat, road to freedom. My mom had to legally immigrate. She went from Cuba to Spain. And then uh, back then, the immigration system, believe it or not, was better if you got sponsored by somebody. And my father landed in Miami after three days at sea in 1964, the day before Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving has always been our favorite holiday because it really resembles a lot for us. And what shaped me with them is just I, I got to understand the benefits of America, but also the benefits of of coming from an immigrant background. Uh, I mean, one of the biggest gifts is I can do English and Spanish on a dime now. And I didn't know English when I got to grade school and I had an accent and that I think was an adversity that I overcame at a young age that really helped me build momentum in life that I think has been very crucial and truly a backbone. Cause I think you always got to work on yourself. You always got to be improving. And when you're basically stuck in an environment that you basically have no choice, it really was like sink or swim. I mean, early 80s in Atlanta, uh, in the inner city where I grew up, weren't a whole lot of Latino kids. So it's just, you know, it wasn't Miami as the, as I said, you know, I was born in Atlanta. I am a true native from here. And my parents met in Atlanta. So they did not know each other in Cuba. And my father first came to Miami, but by then he was a mid-60s Cuban. And what a lot of people aren't aware of, Miami used to be a retirement Jewish community. It's not the metropolis it is today. And at that point, there wasn't a lot of opportunity. So you had a lot of Cuban people that went to Vegas, Downey, California, Chicago, New York, New Jersey, Atlanta, areas like that to try to find work and and create a better life.
1: Yeah as as we talked about in Atlanta my mother-in-law uh got moved to Oklahoma which eventually is where she met my father-in-law who was an Oklahoma farming family um and so they were they were transitioned initially in Miami and then then moved out from there uh into Oklahoma you also uh, played sports a lot of your life i know you love sports i know you're a huge jordan guy i would imagine not only cuz i know you had great talent playing, but the the work ethic of your parents probably having to start over, having to learn, and then you yourself of the learning process of trying to learn English and be in an environment where there's not a lot of people that look and sound like you. How did that translate into what you started to do in sports and maybe some things you picked up there that have, have paid off really throughout your life?
0: Well, I think the greatest thing was my father gave me a an advice and I was probably about six or seven, I still remember it, where he said, look, son, this is Atlanta. There are not a whole lot of Latinos, Cubans here. You better get used to everybody else's culture because we're even Catholic and we're in the South. There aren't that many Catholics here either. So you better learn to get to know other people and their culture and their background and really get to understand them because he was very honest when he said, most of your life you'll probably spend having to explain why you look the way you are, but you're Latino how your last name is the way it is, how you can, like they said, it's just not known in this area. And that was something that was really good. And yeah, sports, you know, a lot of failure. I I love baseball. I think baseball is very close to life uh, because you really do go three and a half for 10. If you go three and a half for 10 in baseball, you're a revered God. Only a few have ever done it, yep. but you can do that in leadership and you can do that in life and have a phenomenal life. That doesn't mean uh, I, I think sometimes people mistaken something that may not go your way as it was an error or a bad decision. It's like baseball. Plenty of times I hit the ball on the screws and somebody made a play on me. Good for them. It's the situation. It's what they were supposed to do. However, I had some ground ball with eyes. I had some blue pits that shouldn't have fell. I had a few wind took a few over the fence that probably shouldn't have gone like that's, that's life. That's the breaks. But yeah, my parents work ethic, you know, I started going to the construction site when I was five with my father because my father was a general contractor. And he's really the one that started telling me about entrepreneurship and and really taking your destiny to the next level. Uh, My mom would take me to school with her because she was a school teacher uh, during the summers because we always finished for whatever reason. My county finished sooner than hers. And I got to see a lot of perspective. You know, I got to learn at a young age, a little bit more of an adult life. And I kind of had to grow up. I'm not going to say faster because I had a phenomenal childhood. So it's not like I didn't get to be a kid, but there were certain aspects I had to learn that. And sports definitely helped me uh, when it came to work ethic. I remember in when I was nine, I, I missed the all-star game. And I felt it was one of those that maybe one of the kids of the, you know, daddy ball got an edge. And I basically yep. told myself that's not going to happen next year. And it didn't. I, I, literally went to the backyard of my grandparents' house and practiced baseball by myself, like hitting it off the tee, throwing it up in the air, throwing it and trying to track down fly balls, a lot of crazy stuff, throwing the ball into the wall hard so when it bounced back to that field, like self-made stuff. And then the next year, the baseball looked like a cantaloupe to me. It was like slow, and I was just hitting like crazy. People were like, what are you doing? I'm like, like the game slowed down so much it wasn't even funny.
1: Let me let me ask you something, because you said a couple of things that I'm fascinated by. The the first is when you had the disappointment in sports, like you immediately went out and started working on the drills in business sometimes. And especially when building teams, we can have frustrations, but it's not as simple in our heads. A lot of times the intangibles of going out, throwing a ball against the wall, taking BP, things like that. From a work sense, how have you started to identify work or where you should start of improving yourself and your skills when facing those disappointments in the corporate world or while building the business?
0: Whew, that's a good question because that probably has a lot of parts on what I call my mental fitness, um, and what I mean by that is I think sometimes the way is I, I view that mental fitness is is, is cut into three categories. Uh, the first one's mental health, but it's not what people consider mental health. It's what I consider it, which I believe the only way to ac- accomplish great mental health is a lot of the physical things. Are you doing your mindful exercises? Are you drinking enough water? How's your diet? How's your exercise? How's your sleep? I mean, that's why I even wear this ring. This isn't a novelty. This is the aura yeah. ring to really track that. I think that's first and foremost, probably the biggest pillar of anything. Cause if you take care of that, even if you don't do the other two, even though I recommend it, you will advance. You will just naturally feel better. You know, I've, I've said this all the time. I've never understood how people work out and do all this to look good. I get how you do it to feel good. Like that is, is phenomenal. And the sacrifices some meals that you give up or if you cut certain things out, how great you feel. Next one is what I call mental wellness. And that's really your group of advisors. It could be your spouse. It could be different people you talk to, mentors, and really talking with them and and getting to to reflect and make yourself better, which has everything to do with emotional intelligence. You know, I I think, unfortunately, therapy is phenomenal. It just has a bad rap because of its name. If you think about it, it's really just emotional strategization. That's all it is. It's just basically getting your emotions understanding. It's not saying box it up and don't get upset because I'll tell you that's a ticking time bomb. And that
1: is a ticking
0: time bomb. I, and I know that from, you know, boxing up after my father's death, that how that can cause you so many problems and you don't even realize it, but how it manifests. And then I think the big one is mental strengthening, which I'm the big believer like behind you. You know, last year I read 33 books. This year, my goal is 35. You know, I've read your book before. We've given it out at one of our conferences I just think that when you read, what people don't realize is, oh, you know, I want to take notes. And, you know, I take notes and I'm a big fan of Audible and I'll take the keys. But the crucial part is you read it back later, you review it, you take those notes, you write them down, but it really sparks creativity. And that you can also do podcasts or, you know, if you don't want to read books, I know people that are really good at the market because they read it three to four hours every day. That's like reading books. And that's why you become... It's kind of like that Jordan 10,000 hour rule. Like you start reading and it's not just about leadership. You can read about all sorts of subjects, even anthropology, things of that nature that really brings humanity together. And you will just gain a perspective and a knowledge that just isn't taught in school because in school, it's more of the, what I'd say the fundamentals, but fundamentals are creativity and imagination. So to answer your question, that's what I would say. Uh, kind of breaks down into that category
1: how often are you with your say circle as you talked about the mentors the the peers the people you lean on how often from a ritual standpoint are y'all just kind of circling
0: up as almost a check-in check-up physical there's two that I more particular but I mean it just depends I think my trainer's one of them you know I don't ask, I tell them what we're doing for subject matter, like, hey, what are we training tomorrow? Cause I like to try to visualize how it's going to go beforehand and all that. But I don't ask them what exercises. I'm just very prepared to be like, okay, today is legs. All right. I'm, I'm getting ready to squat or I'm gonna do lunges or I'm gonna do something big or I'm gonna run to warm up. Okay, got to give it. You know, if you hear that voice, that resistance voice in you, just plug on a head. So I'm with my trainer a good amount, but uh, two other ones, one that's helping me with with scaling up and understanding that side of the business as well as culturally, you know, I'm circling up with those guys, you know, at least like one-on-one time on these Zooms, at least two to three times a month with each of them. That doesn't even, I'm not even counting texts and phone calls and catch-ups and, hey, watch this video. Hey, watch this. Hey, we share all these books, you know, one of them taught me the trick on how to read books. You read two to three at a time. You just read a chapter at a time. And that way you don't get like bored. I taught one of my other ones that he said he zipped through more books last year than he ever did. And he soaked in so much information. I'm like, yeah, dude, if you sit down just with one, even if you're into it at some point in time, that voice of, yeah, hey, I don't, but if you change it up, you're like, oh, you know, cause like right now I'm finishing up, uh, the three things a CEO only does something like that. It's pretty okay. cool. And then Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. So you can transfer and then all of a sudden long books don't leave that long because you're picking up, you know, you got to pick up those wins. I think it's real important to pick up small wins and you can structure it that way. So, you know, I spend a lot of time, you know, with some of the other ones I don't, but my doctor's on there because like I say, I do believe in supplements. I do believe in checking my blood every 90 days uh, because I do take this like athleticism because a lot of people are counting on me consumers are counting on me, the industry, uh, my family. And I think you've got to treat it like an athlete did that. You just, I mean, you don't need to try to lift as much weight as you used to or anything like that, but you, you need to be working on strength, fitness, cardio, just to keep yourself. And it's just very good for you. It's just so good for your mental health. It's not even funny.
1: Yeah, well, and and not only that, we we both know uh, just personally bind to the idea that if you're not leading yourself effectively, you're going to have a hard time leading others. And that discipline in doing that is so incredibly important. You mentioned and talked about kind of from that culture standpoint, and, and I know a lot of the listeners today are in management roles. Uh, some are at that C-suite executive level, and everybody's looking for how can I improve our culture? How do I Know if somebody's a fit. How do I know if we have somebody on the team that may not be a fit, but they still do some good work? It's not like they're super toxic, but maybe they're not in. When you're building kind of the EPM team, and obviously you have these different divisions, and we'll talk a little bit about that. How do you look at adding team players and really evaluating their fit, not only from a technical side, which is where everybody tends to go first, but a emotional skill,
0: relational side? so i recommend this to everybody we do it everybody takes what's called the clifton strengths test i think it's phenomenal it's a subconscious test they have to answer it so you can't game it like all the other ones there's only two tests like that there's that one and then one that's kind of referred to as the big five that one's even more in depth however you know a psychologist has to give it to your psychiatrist because unfortunately, if you score depression, they got to put it on your medical record. So as an employer, you can't do that. Yep. But if you want to go do it for yourself, and I did do it for myself, that gets it even to the next level. But the Clifton's is so powerful because what it teaches you is just work on people's top 10 strengths. This whole work on weaknesses, it's, it's a waste of time because that robs energy from you. But if you work on people's strengths, You're gonna be like, hell yeah, dude! I'm good at that. I'm gonna keep doing that. So then the other stuff becomes a blind spot. And then if you can't overcome it, then you fill a gap. It's why executives at times wind up having an EA. It's because they want to maximize their time, and they're not gonna be like, oh, am I on this schedule? Am I getting yanked here? Oh my god, here's what's going on. Squirrel, and you lose what's going on. So you just gotta, you know, be very honest with yourself. Have a lot of, you know, you want to build a great culture, radical candor. Um, That does not mean. To be an a-hole, I, I tell people all the time, you can embrace conflict in a very professional manner because if, if we were embracing conflict and talking radical candor, it wouldn't be like, I'm coming at you, Jake. It's like, hey, Jake, yep. we got this situation. How do we work together to find a solution? Um, I wish Congress did that a little bit, but-, me me both. <laughs> but um both.
1: But it's the objectiveness. It's not, hey, you did this. It's here's this. Let's talk about this that has nothing to do with who you and I are as people, but this situation.
0: Or you even ask why, like, I, I don't think people understand that a lot of times you can get to huge solutions just by asking why a couple of times in a row. Don't weaponize that cause you can, but when somebody, you know, everybody's holding back a little bit cause of the, that eighties and nineties culture of the ghost of leaders past. Oh yeah. And why, why they eventually spill what goes on and they don't, and they feel vulnerable enough on their limits and it's okay. Yeah. It's just, you got to really lean in. You got to, cause you just don't know. Sometimes you got to ask the questions because you don't understand the perspective and you don't have the context. You just change the context and the frame. And that's why you got to start with that first. You, you move something over here and all of a sudden it's like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? And no, you got to really truly find out what the objective was uh, because that tells you what the intentionality is. Absolutely.
1: One of the other pieces of culture, I'm I'm interested from you knowing kind of the size of your organization and the partners and everybody that works and is involved with EPM is not just in Atlanta. And we have definitely over the last few years, you know, we had COVID hit, people were remote, companies are bringing them back. There's kind of obviously tension in in that, but there's something about being in office, water cooler touch points. How do you ensure that your culture and the standards you've set not only live there in Atlanta where you are, but are in all the other places that your brand touched, location that you have team members, how do you help those virtual or other location people continue to have that culture and feel like they belong instead of they're just on an island?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd say almost 70, 65% of the company's virtual now. It just, it's where the evolution has gone. This industry was going virtual even before. Um, you just got to do a lot of video you got to really be upfront. you got to disclose immediately. You know, we have a quarterly, not quarterly, we have a monthly Q and executives call where people can anonymously ask questions pointed at executives and we have to answer it no matter what it is. You know, we're always doing some fun stuff here and there, but I sit on video calls with people in every department at least once a month. Uh, Hey, what's going on? How can we get 1% better? What's going on today? You know, I send out a Uh, a daily affirmation that is a Mm -hmm. tribute to you because I I write in my daily affirmation, the headline, you know, compete every day in life to win. And then I put one of our four beliefs, you know, we talk about our four beliefs, but then beliefs are just beliefs. So how do you take action on it? Well, we have the behaviors to break down. Nobody's going to remember all the behaviors, but what I tell people is they usually remember two or three out of the four. So at least that gives them a foundation that's 90, 95% better. And you can always read it. You can always check on it. You can always, I think it's okay to tell people to call a timeout and really step back and say, hey man, let me look at this. But that's how we also hire. Is this person going to fit these values? Because you, know, you got to do the right thing always. There's certain things that it's okay if you make mistakes. We're like, dude, you'll get in more trouble if you don't own it than if you own it. Um, now, if you keep doing it, then you just don't care. That's nope. a different thing. Uh, or you could be in a wrong position look at the Clifton's, but even if you're having challenging with anybody, you know, you do that and you've got to really demonstrate it because kind of like the shirt of yours that I have underneath here, talk's Mm -hmm. cheap, dude, action's everything. It really, really is. You really, and you got to lean in and make people feel comfortable. You got to give them surveys anonymously and we pull data from it quarterly. We talk about it and we're just always going at it. We have multiple podcasts that some of the uh, leaders are on. We give out these minutes. We send out videos of the organization. Like we're just, a lot of people want to work at home and I get it, you know, and you don't want to also reduce your talent. I mean, we've got yeah. some of most sales centric operations staff and people are like, how the heck do you do that? I've had more success doing that with just finding the right people that believe in that. Then they have to sit right outside of my office because I'm even giving back some space because, you know, when you saw our office, it was so much bigger We don't need as much anymore as people would go to other organizations or leave or get promotions or they didn't fit the culture anymore and we had to graduate them. We've just opened up recruitment, you know, countrywide. And, you know, we only have four of the executives that live here, more live away. But I think that's better for the talent pool, especially – I mean, even on the origination side in our industry, the originators that are local are talking to their customers on video now because this is almost what they're saying as a, I read the book, The Virtual Leader. It almost has about an 80, 90% effectiveness because it is face-to-face. I could see your body language. You could see, heck, I could see the books. I could see everything behind you, TCU's helmet over there. You you could see so many great details like you're right here, but you can do it on mass scales. I mean, I've had- three or four meetings a day from underwriting different departments that I can lean in even new people that are doing business with them just to welcome them because you got to have that candor. You got to really bring that out to get people to eventually feel comfortable to speak up. So there,
1: there's something along that I'm curious about as well on your end of where do you kind of draw the line or balance of your team always hearing from you Versus your kind of right underneath you, your other C suite leaders, making sure people are hearing from them similar messages and their tone, their story. So it's not just
0: you that it's always coming from. They have a lot of video calls too. That's one of the things they've all taken up. They've really gone to the teams approach. You know, we love teams. Cause we can do yep. chats on them. We can do everything. You know, it's right here on the cell phone. If I've got to jump out in a meeting, we've said, Hey guys, you know, we want to be very adaptable and versatile. There are times that we get yanked out of the office and you know, I'm having to jump on something with my kiddos or something, but I can still keep taking calls. And then in a weird way, people appreciate it. Like, Oh my God, you're still handling something, but you still have the respect to pay to me. So a lot of videos we're always talking about. It. We have an exec meeting every week. How many videos were you on? What are you reaching out to? How are we hitting this up? You know, daily communication of KPIs. It's just really a overabundance effectiveness of communication that I think really uh, is what's going to separate any organization because more and more are going to be going virtual. It's just, it's good for the consumer. You know, think about how much office space you can save, you know, think about how much more revenue you could save, um, you can pass that on to the consumer and that always winds up treating you better. Uh, At the end of the day, they just don't come to mortgage offices anymore. Even before uh, Rona, you already had had a lot of the loan originators that never showed up. They'd rather go work at a Starbucks or anything. And then operationally about 10 years ago, they started doing that because that was a recruitment angle. So this industry was very prepared for it. And now more and more ever, it's just the tough part. Yeah. Is the culture, but it's why you got to have a team you got to lean in and 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 you're absolutely correct it's a bottom up philosophy the executors are at the bottom but they have to go to senior leadership middle leadership and then leadership because i believe everybody's a leader in this industry because at the end of the day when you're trying to make somebody achieve home ownership the consumer views you as a leader regardless of your position so everybody's a leader here you got to really listen to the top floors cuz they're the closest to the consumer the everyday leaders that are doing a lot of things as well as, you know, they're just hearing nuances out there and get you that information to see what decisions or what adjustments. And more importantly, people want to feel heard. A lot of your greatest solutions did not come from our executives. And yeah, know- how do
1: you how do you empower folks that come from other places with that? Because everybody's like they've heard that we've heard. Oh, you can tell us anything. You we love your ideas, but most organizations don't actually encourage that or they do and it's in one ear and out the other so how have you been able to really empower your people to believe that they can do that and then also participate
0: uh generate results no retaliation not going to say that we've been perfect because people have bad days but we don't tolerate it i've been flat out can't act that way can't act that way you know this isn't who we are and people have seen the results and we go back, you know, they answer the surveys. So we see the data that comes in anonymously. We tell them what we're working on. We tell them every 90 days. These are the 90 day sprints that we just did after our strategic. And here's what we're seeing. And they just see things happening at the end. You want to build trust. You got to deliver action. That's it at the end. You know, You can be the kindest person. You can be the most loving person. You can be the most outgoing person. You can really have true intentions. But if the other person is always delivering and still is treating them with a lot of professionalism and respect, they're going to naturally feel more vulnerable, you know, to talk up. And that's why I jump on those calls myself with all sorts of people, because I want people to ask me even personal stuff. I tell people to share on our calls their personal wins because, there is no work life anymore. It's just no. work-life balance. That is a lie. I want to let everybody know that. I know I get heat for that, but it's well, a lie only it. because it's a lie. my life balance is different than somebody else. Somebody tells me they got to have an eight o'clock meeting. They can't with me. Okay. I have one at six in the morning after I leave the gym, you can have certain parts, but at that point I'm taking my kids to school and being a part of that, but I can do probably 830. That doesn't mean I'm a bad person. Some other people, you know, start at seven, can have meetings, but then at four or five, they can't, you know, they've off to do their other thing and I'm still around. So it's really just a balance. It's, um, I think unfortunately at times people weaponize it. Yep. And that's sad because no real, really no need for that. Uh,
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I, and I agree. I love how, I mean, as a leader, you do have to set those boundaries. You have to understand that even though your job is to help empower, lead, direction, pour into others. At the same time, if you're not taking care of yourself and those priorities, doesn't really matter. You don't have anything left to fill. One of the things I'm curious about that, uh, and we can talk about this. If not, I'll edit this section out. But I'm fascinated with, we have a mutual friend who I know was with the organization left and has since come back. And you always hear when people leave really good organizations, oh, we love you, come back anytime. Like we'd love to have you back. And very rarely is that person able to come back again. Sure. And is it it accepted even? And I have a friend who left a a large consulting firm, did her own thing, didn't work out really the way she wanted and she was able to go back. But those are such a rare, unique circumstances because either A, the team feels like, when are you going to leave us again? And so there's never quite that cultural fit again, or we just give it lip service of like, Hey, Oh, you were great. You left. And then, Oh, by the way, we're moving on non interested in bringing that back. So how have you, I guess, create an environment where the pursuit is of excellence versus letting egos lead the way?
0: So that's tough. As I jokingly call yeah. myself the chief wrestler of egos and nobody has bigger egos than the executives. And I don't mean that as an insult. I mean that as in a, uh, they accomplish things. So some of that does build some self-assurance. It's really how you exit people. You know, I wouldn't bring somebody back if they mailed it in, but with that gentleman literally up until the last day he was working and I'm not talking about mailing it in. He didn't leave the last day till the normal time he left. He didn't say after lunch, you know, he did not do a goodbye tour. And they could leave you again. However, was the time still good? Did everybody elevate and get 1% better? Did there actually become value? If they leave, you got to support people. You know, that's why I call it. We call it our graduation program. Because yes, some people we let go because it's not a fit. However, some people if they're getting a promotion, they're getting this. I never see that as a bad thing. You know, you've got to understand that, you know, stats out there say people are going to change jobs every three to four years. I don't know how true that is. I don't know if it slows down. But my point is, you got to view this like college football and college recruiting. You know, you're probably going to keep somebody at best four to five years, a lot of them three. Level them up, make them better. And if you keep putting people like in football in the NFL, your program will keep thriving. And it's the same philosophy that I have, you know, this isn't baseball, even though it's my favorite sport where somebody can play 20 years with one team. It's a lot more like college football that you've got, you know, three to five years at best and maximize that time. And it's no different than if somebody leaves and comes back. It's like an athlete that got injured and then come back, give them that chance. If, if you need it, if it fits, if, if you don't have anything, you don't have anything, that's okay. But you've got to me- have that open mind. Let me
1: ask you along those lines then, and we don't have to get into details of what you do, but how important is that consistent leadership development within your, within your organization? So knowing we could lose people every three to five years, we have to have second, third string has to be ready to step up. Somebody has to be ready to ascend versus going out and continuing to recruit more. How do you, at least with your team, continue to put an emphasis on how are we growing our people as well as growing our business?
0: You know, you gotta, you know, we have outside organizations that help with that. They teach from forum to different conscious leadership styles to getting us uh, certifications through Stagan on conscious leadership. We're just always training on it because there is a saying somebody's like, oh my God, what happens if I work on somebody's leadership and they leave us? Well, what happens if they stay? That's right. I mean, when I read that one time, I forgot who said that famous quote. I was like, bingo and here's what you have to understand if you really invested in people and cared they're going to probably be your best recruiters they're going to tell their 100%. friends they're going to say things now you shouldn't do it for that that's manipulative but if you're doing it to do the right thing all they'll ever say is great things all they'll ever do is nah 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 you don't know or you know there's things that get hairy in life and now there's more to this I'm not buying this I just know them too much that sometimes they become some of your greatest offensive players so You know, I've, I've always believed this and I always will. I don't believe in competitors. I believe the competition's good. It's a great barometer for who you want to be. If you're willing to go there, the only competitor is really the eyeballs in the mirror. You know, I think if more people live that, not only would they be happier, not only would they realize, Oh, it's self-responsibility. Wait a second. Naturally humans are wired good to do that. That's called survival. And I think there'd be less mental health challenges because there's this always comparison like, why do they have it? And I don't. You don't know what price they paid. You don't know if they really have it. It could be BS. Like, you really don't know. So, who cares? All you know is what you know about yourself, and you should just focus on that.
1: I love it. I love it. Well, Eddie, man, this has been an absolute pleasure. I know your LinkedIn is one of the best places to connect with you. And so, we're going to be linking not only that, but your podcast, Empowering People More. On the show notes for people to get connected, learn more about you and EPM. But is there something we missed? Is there a, a, another social media platform you'd like to hang out on? Is there a blog that you love to share that our leaders would be great to not only follow to learn from you, but learn more about you and the amazing EPM team?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, and everything's the same. I've been fortunate that, you know, my handles, my names, it's Eduardo G. Perez Jr., even on TikTok, everywhere. I'm fortunate that it's such a unique way I spell even Eddie, the the Latino way with the middle initial Perez and Junior that it is, and that's why I have everything labeled that way because that way there's a lot of uniformity. LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, you know, I have it all there. So it's really easy when I tell people to look up uh, you know, Eddie with a Y, G Perez Junior. Those are the handles uh, on Instagram and TikTok. And all of a sudden they're like, holy crap, it's here. And I'm like, yeah, and you could see all the videos and everything that I put out because the content is really for others out there because many people were good to my family when they came to this country. Many people have been very, very good to me. And I was always taught by my father and literally I had to talk with him on his deathbed that he asked me, you know, when your time's done on this world, did you leave your man, did you leave your fellow man better? And I was honest with him. I was 31 at the time. I said, no, man, I haven't done that yet. He says, make sure you do. Cause I can die in peace knowing that I did. So that has always been a pay it forward attitude. I'm not looking for things in return. Sometimes things come in return because people see the relatability and where I could be very candid with them. Like, Hey man, this, this ain't really going too well. Or, hey, what do you think about here, man? This is what I'm already starting to see. And people can really, learn how to embrace any because con- everything is conflict conflict gets a bad rap because people weaponize it or use it to yep. just i'm mad at my kids so i'm gonna grind an axe on you and, and you just can't do that man you just gotta really be a leader uh and it starts with everybody is a leader because they're a leader of this
1: yep, at all times. yep. Learn, learning to lead yourself, which I know
0: our audience is
1: all about. Eddie, man, this has been a pleasure. I appreciate you Always. making time and joining the show.
0: Always my pleasure. Always love chatting with you. For everybody out there that's listening, you really do have the best comfortable T-shirts with the best slogans in the, in the land. You've even done so much kindness that you've even branded some for my organization and even in our color. So I, I greatly appreciate it. Even my kids are fans now. It's love funny. It. Of course, they say, Dad, when you're giving a speech, and you have a shirt that talk is cheap and you're talking. <laughs> I'm like, guys, cause it's action, but you, you have to, you know, we'll, we'll get you like, one
1: for some of those talks that have uh, some of the upcoming slogans. And we'll use that talk is cheap in the, uh, the strategy sessions and the workouts. So
0: I appreciate it, but I, I really appreciate it. I love what you do. I, I think it's so great. You know, I think your book's great. I think everything that you're doing is, is really important out there because now more than ever, You know, people need that more than ever now. Thanks for
1: tuning in to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. To get in touch with the team, drop us an email to podcast at competeveryday.com. And to find out more about our resources, content, and gear that will help you build that winning mindset so you better compete for your best life. Visit CompeteEveryday.com.